It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Duke fans, welcome to episode 580 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I'm Jason Evans, here for your listening pleasure. I'm joined, as I always am, by Donald Wine. Donald, how you doing, my friend? It's Monday, January 8th. Tonight is a national championship game in football. This is a very, very, very important day. So everybody, I just need, I, I the guys here can see it, but I just need everybody to understand. Go blue. I like it. I like it. Now, you noticed. Donald said the guys, because we are joined. We have a special guest. We've been doing a little bit more of this lately, bringing in other voices, other people to talk with me and Donald. Today, we're joined by a special one, Michael Corey, who was the editor of the Duke Chronicle sports section back in his day. Mike, welcome to the DBR podcast. Well, thank you, Jason. Thank you, Donald. I'm delighted to be here, though, not delighted to see Donald wearing Michigan blue uh, which I have to say is a, a double Ohio State graduate for my uh, post-undergrad days where we overlapped at Duke. But I'm happy for my friend Donald, and I hope that you lose by just one point tonight. Just, no, no, we can't have this. We, see, <laughs> break, time out. We got we to gotta start over. <laughs> no, hey. for, for those of you out there, for those of you out there, Michael and I go way back. We were we were at Duke together. Um, when I was headline monitor, he was the editor of the sports section. Uh, at the Chronicle, and and we we've been we've been really good friends uh, since then. We we worked a lot together back in those days, so it was great to have Michael on. Uh, we we separate. We 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 like to bury our our hatred for each other's uh, schools, um, in our friendship. But uh, no, it's really good to have him on. Uh, hey, Mike, tell folks. You know, I mentioned that you were Chronicle sports editors. Just really quick, uh, give give folks sort of the history of your Duke fandom 
and and your connection to the basketball team? Well, I don't think uh, we're going to have enough time for that. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up a Duke brat. Uh, my father was a 1969 Duke grad. He'd gone there on a full ride after growing up in Charles, West Virginia. Uh, did miss a game and came into our stadium back before Coach K had arrived, of course. Um, I grew up not knowing any different than being a Duke fan and watching Danny Ferry and Johnny Dawkins, some of my first Duke memories. Um, uh, and I was fortunate enough to to get in and matriculate uh, in the fall of 2001 and served as uh, sports editor of the Chronicle in uh, uh, would have been 2003, 2004. Um, got to uh, attend the, the 2004 Final Four in San Antonio, where we let UConn beat us, of course. Oh, uh, still, still. It didn't happen. No, it didn't. Really didn't. We, uh, we were actually sitting like sort of together uh, in that section. Like I remember right. we I think there's a picture of us like hugging and crying uh, in yep. each other's arms after the game was over. Yep. I, I blacked out, but I'm sure that's right. Um, uh, the, the, by the way, the, the refs just called another foul on the Duke big man. <laughs> yep. Man, that game you and just got a technical. Yeah. Well, it's, that game was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and, and after uh, my, my wonderful days at Duke concluded, I got to write a little bit for GoDuke.com and some of the other publications out there. Um and have tried and failed to uh, write the way that I used to about Duke basketball, but still, of course, uh, follow it and follow all of you and follow DBR meticulously and um, am, am excited about the prospects of Duke basketball going forward. I love it. I love it. All right. So we're going to get to our main task here, which is we're previewing Duke's game against Pittsburgh. This is a road contest and it, it, this is a big deal game. But before we do, guys, I, I want to just super fast. There's just something I happened to look up and notice today. And this, this concerns the Notre Dame game that Duke was just in. And, and I, I listened to the podcast, Donald, that you and I did on Notre Dame. And I was pretty harsh on the team. <laughs> I, I had a lot of criticism of how Duke performed in that Notre Dame game and how some specific players performed. And I, you know, I was sort of looking at Notre Dame a little bit and I was like, you know, maybe, maybe they aren't as crappy as I thought they were. Maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I judged Duke a little too harshly for, for a, you know, a, a close win, but, but a reasonably comfortable win over Notre Dame on the road. I, I went back and looked. So on December 19th, Notre Dame lost to the Citadel. It was a bad loss. By 20. Yep. <laughs> it's a really bad loss. In the wake of that game, people outside the Notre Dame locker room apparently could hear Micah Shrewsbury, the new Notre Dame head coach, just laying into the team. I mean, really giving it to them. And talking about effort and teamwork and playing the way they should, playing with pride. Since that day, Bart Torbick, who's someone who tracks efficiency and all that other kind of stuff, sort of Ken Palm Jr., I guess you'd say is Bart Torbick. He says that since that game, Notre Dame has been the number 47 team in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they aren't that bad. Now, it's a small sample size, only four games. But the bottom line is that the Notre Dame that Duke played on Saturday maybe like nothing like the team that everyone picked to be at the bottom of the ACC. Maybe our narrow win over them wasn't as unimpressive as I first thought. You know, you mentioned that reporting of, of Michael Shrewsbury's, uh, you know, fiery message to the team after the game. He had a fiery press conference after that game as well, where he mentioned that uh, I think he, he, he kind of borrowed from Deion Sanders, bit. he was basically like, if guys don't want to play the Notre Dame way, play the right way, then I will march them down to compliance and we will get them set up for the portal because they don't need to be here. And it was very, I mean, you know, very rarely do you Damn. see coaches call <laughs> out is, players that, like that. That's a serious conference. message. That's a yeah, serious but, message. I mean, it, 
it was mainly he was like, hey, this is not up to our standards. And 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 we've had that before, right? We, you know, it's different when they face the media and say something like that. But, you know, Coach K and I'm sure John Shire behind closed doors have gotten to, you know, their teams and said, hey, look, this is not the Duke standard that we're playing right now. We need to play better and we need to toughen up. We need to do, get back to basics, all those little things. And and we've talked about, you know, all the various methods that Coach K would use to to motivate his team, right, from you – know, from everything in the locker room, the samurai swords to, you know, you know, you know, holistic and, 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 you know, basically doing all these different things to kind of motivate their team. I, I think when it comes to Michael Shrewsbury, you mentioned Jason, that, that since then they're the 47th team in the country. I, look, we're an ACC season. I think everyone who's a Duke fan understands this is going to be the norm. This is going to be the standard. Our standard is whoever we play, is going to play like Notre Dame did on Saturday. They're going to come prepared. They're going to come fired up, ready to go. We're going to take everyone's best shot. I know there was some talk on the uh, various forums about how everyone seems to you know lay down for UNC, but they don't against us. I, I don't necessarily care about that. I think it. I think that's true in a lot of regard, but it's also I doesn't matter if they lay down for UNC. I don't watch UNC games like that. I don't care about UNC like that. I do care that this team needs to meet the intensity and meet the standard. In every game, because if we don't, hey, we either have a rough time like we did against Notre Dame, or a better team can beat us, and we've seen that so far this year too. Um, what encourages me about the Notre Dame performance is Mark Mitchell um, continuing. You his... think? Wait, dude, you think? <laughs> <laughs> really Very encouraging? Yeah. Mike Corey, expert. I'm, I'm sorry. Right? No, <laughs> That's what you get for dating a, a washed-up <laughs> former amateur journalist coming away in here. Um, uh, his his research is very exciting, and Notre Dame does always play us tough, no matter who that coach is, whether it was Bray or now Shrewsbury. And um, uh, that um, maybe coupled with the not up to par performance overall that we were hoping for, uh, just getting one of our would-be stars to. Uh, now become the third leading scorer on the team. Uh, very exciting prospects that can come with that as that cohesive group continues to evolve here. And if it takes a, 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 a you know difficult performance against Notre Dame to get there, that's that's we'll see. We, we got the win. We'll take it. Um, first ACC one on the road this year, and more to come. Jason, we're we're kind of getting off the rails here, but I do want to point out before we get to the preview for Pitt, there was another thing you mentioned how Notre Dame has played recently. I want to talk quickly about how Kyle Filipowski has been playing because we've been kind of down on him the last few weeks, right? Like we, you know, he hasn't played up to what we think he should be living up to as uh, this national player of the year candidate. And, you know, one of the best players in the country. Now I was blown away by this when my best friend sent me this, this morning flips numbers. If you look at his numbers this year, they compare to, Paulo Bancaro in his freshman year, his one year at Duke. Very, 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 very similar. Paulo Bancaro had 17.2 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game, 3.2 assists, 1.1 steals, 0.9 blocks, shot 47% from the floor. Flip, 16.8 points per game, 8.2 rebounds per game, 3.1 assists, 1.4 steals, 1.9 blocks. He actually is statistically better than Paulo Bancaro in most categories so far this year. So, I say that to say, again, that blew me away because, again, we have rightly been saying, yo, he can do a lot better because we've seen, you know, otherworldly stuff from this guy. 
but we kind of have to approach it with, hey, you know, in the grand scheme of things, he might be doing okay. Uh, so Duke fans who were kind of down on, on Kyle Filipowski and how he's been playing offensively lately, just know that his stats are compared with some of the, you know, the best, you know, freshmen uh, that we've had around here in the last few years. And we have to compare freshmen because those have usually been the stars of our most recent teams. But, hey, he might be doing okay. And if we think he can do better than that, and the answer I think is yes, then, man, if he does do better than that, what's the rest of the ACC and the country going to do? Like, nothing. So I, I say that to say, Kyle Filipowski, keep grinding, keep doing your thing. And, you know, when you have that breakout game that we think you're going to have, we're talking 30 points, 25 rebounds, and, you know, a few blocks. And oh, yeah. that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun to watch. It will be. And uh, maybe it'll come against Pittsburgh because Pitt is a big team. Look, it, it's time for us to get to our preview. This is the, the reason we gathered today was to discuss the Pitt Panthers, coached by Jeff Capel, of course. And, Donald, the way we always kick off these little discussions about the Duke opponents is you tell us who they've played, how they've done so far. Get us started on that before I go into the Ken Palm deep dive on the statistics. So, (laughs) the statistics, that's a big word. So, for for Pitt, you know, the first thing is they're 10-5. and They're 1-3 and in the ACC. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, But right now... They're ranked 54th in Ken Palm. You mentioned uh, teams that have been doing pretty well consistently. And at least maybe the record doesn't show that. But Ken Palm is saying that this team is a very efficient team on the basketball court. They have wins at NC State, Binghamton, Florida Gulf Coast. Remember, Dunk City. Uh, Jacksonville, that's a common opponent. We played them uh, the first game of the year. They, they put up over 100 points against Jacksonville. So this team can score. Oregon State, West Virginia, Canisius, South Carolina State, Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Louisville. Their losses, again, some teams that are actually pretty decent, Florida, Missouri, Clemson, Syracuse, and UNC. Now, they've been reeling a little bit lately, and I think the reason is the losses that they have aren't necessarily the big deals is how they lost them. And a lot of these games, win or loss, they let the other team come back and kind of take the game from them. Syracuse, they were ahead. They ended up battling back and forth and ended up losing. UNC, they were battling with them. Missouri, they let a lead go super late in the game. In Clemson, they kind of battled back and forth and then just kind of lost the plot at the end. So while we, we've we seen Jeff Capel teams play before, they're very tough, they're very physical. They usually can rebound. As you mentioned, Jason, they, you know, we'll talk about the metrics, but they they don't have a ton of length, but they have some guys that are tall and can stretch the floor a little bit and at least make it uh, where defensively it's tough to score on them. And they want to try and take shots and they want to try and make them. But they're, a lot of them right now are volume shooters. And because of that, they sometimes shoot themselves out of the game. So it'll be interesting to see how they compare to that when they are at are at home where they do play demonstrably better than on the road. But that's, again, that's the rest of the ACC. I think when it comes to Pitt, the physicality of this game is usually what gives us fits when we go up there to play them. And especially with Jeff Capel teams, of course, Jeff Capel knows the Duke program very well and knows how to match up with some of these guys, knows these guys very well. It's going to be a question of matching intensity. In the last couple of years, when we have gone to face the zoo, they have matched that intensity. But we're going to need to do that again tomorrow night. All right, Donald, Mike, let's get to the analytics, the stats, as they say, on this pit program. Um, as uh, Donald, you mentioned, they're, they're number 54 in Ken Palm. Um, they are better defensively than they are offensively, but there's not like a, a huge gap. Uh, I noticed that they play relatively slow, 218th fastest pace in the land. And one reason they play slow, and again, Donald, this is something you alluded to a little bit, but I'm going to really talk about this, is that they are really big. 
This Pitt team is the sixth tallest team in all of Division One, and they use that length and the size that comes with it to bother shooters and grab rebounds. They're one of the top 10 teams in the country at defensive rebounding. I mean, that is, that's a big deal. You're not going to, Duke has struggled at times getting offensive rebounds this year. It is really hard to get offensive rebounds against this pit club. They are elite at protecting the three-point line. Get this, pit opponents only hit 27% from three. That's a really low number. That's number six in the country. And they're 16th in the country at protecting the rim, at blocking shots. So you're talking about a team that doesn't allow you to make threes, that blocks a lot of shots, that doesn't give up offensive rebounds. I'm frankly surprised. They're only rated, they're number 47 on defense in the country. I'm surprised they're not higher than that. I mean, you know, they're top 10, top 15 in the country at three really, really key areas. And the only reason their defense isn't better is because they don't force a lot of turnovers. And there's a weird just, you know, sticking out there like luck thing about them. Their opponents have hit better than 76% of their free throws. It's like this, that free throw defense is, is not a thing. Look, Duke fans, I know that you guys, you know, the, 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 the grad students, the band, everybody's trying to make noise and, but free throw defense is really not a thing. So when I see that Pitt is one of the worst teams in the country at free throw defense, I'm like, that's just bad luck for Pitt. Um, but make no mistake. This is a pit team that is very, very good on defense. On offense, they have good ball handlers. They're top 25 in the country at not committing turnovers. So you're not going to get, you know, easy possessions against them. Duke, by the way, is number six in the country at not committing turnovers. This is not going to be a game where either team gives up the ball a lot. Um, Pitt does a nice job of grabbing offensive rebounds, top 50 in the country at offensive rebounding. Duke's going to need to protect the glass on the defensive end of the floor especially from Federico Federico and Guillermo Diaz-Graham, who are their two like rotating centers. Those two guys really get a lot of offensive rebounds. Uh, the other thing about Pitt's offense is they're, they're frankly not a very good three-point shooting team, only hitting 33% from deep, even though they love to shoot three-pointers. Like they have one of the highest three-point shooting rates in the country, even though they only hit a third of them. Um, that's not ideal. They also only hit 68% of their free throws. They're just frankly not a very good shooting team. Um, but, you know, they're, they, they are a team that is decent enough on offense when you combine it with their good defense that they're capable of, of beating a team like Duke, beating anybody, especially at home. Jason, the, the one stat that you mentioned that's kind of like, you know, the bad luck stat, right? The free throw defense. The fact that a lot of teams are making, you know, 70, 77% of their free throws against Pitt. One thing that is interesting about that is that Duke wants to get Pitt in the foul trouble. While they do have a large bench, they play nine guys uh, on average more than 10 minutes a game. But if anyone has two fouls, Jeff Cable's taking them out of the ball game. Like I think it was 6% of their minutes are with people who have two fouls in the first half. So if guys get into foul trouble, Jeff Cable is more than capable of sitting them because he knows he's got bodies to come in. But that also means that you want to be aggressive in getting to the free throw line. I know they're very big. I know they're very tall. But the way you neutralize big men is to get them out of the, out of the game. We've seen that happen to us. We had that one game where five different you know guys that felt like we're in foul trouble in the first half and they all ended up having to sit and it made our our lineup demonstrably s smaller so with Pitt, the way to neutralize and shrink their their defense is to get some of the big men out of the game that is going to require our big men one to stay out of foul trouble on our end we do play more guys with two fouls but that's because we have to a little bit more than than Pitt does 
But if Pitt gets those guys out of the game, then it opens up the floor quite a bit and also makes Pitt play a little bit more timid, which is where a lot of those defensive holes will come in. All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna bring in Mike Corey, by the way. <laughs> Again, in just a moment, I promise you, Mike. But we're gonna take a quick commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're gonna talk about some specific players on Pitt, who to watch out for, who are the big threats on this team, and we're gonna hear more from Mike about his time as Chronicle Sports Editor. All that's coming at you, just a second. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family friends co-workers even strangers even when stress has you a little bit down and for some getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about that's what better help is all about it's entirely online and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient flexible and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Duke Roundup. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We are back from the break, and we're going to talk a little bit about the players on this pit, this pit ball club. 
Um, Donald, I, I'm betting that you're going to talk to me a little bit about Blake Henson. But before you do, I want to mention something else. They got a couple freshmen this year who are really good. I've watched I've watched Pitt play a couple times, and I've come away very impressed with their two freshmen. The, the really impressive one is Carlton Bub Carrington. Bub Carrington, it, man, this dude is a player. He's averaging 14.6 points per game, 5.3 rebounds per game, and 5.0 assists per game. Donald, he averages a 10-5-5. We talk about the 10-5-5. He averages one. Guy is 6'5". He leads the team in minutes played. He's a true freshman. Now, he's not a great shooter yet, but, man, I think Bud Carrington is going to be a big-time player at some point in his career. And get this, dudes, did you see how he started his career? The very first game of his career, they played NCANT. Kid's a freshman, starting point guard, opening game. He had a triple-double in his first game of his career. Wow. I mean, I hear those things are good. <laughs> yeah. I hear like, you want to have those. Yeah. It was really impressive that this kid had a triple-double on his first game of his career. He does it all for them. His head's always on a – I know his head's always on a swivel. He's looking for the pass. He makes some great passes. Duke, Duke is going to have their hands full with Bud Carrington. And then the other freshman, I, I just want to quickly mention this guy. When Bud Carrington is not playing point guard, they got a guy named Jalen Lowe who is playing point guard. Jalen Lowe is very long, very rangy. Um, he's just hitting 27% of his three-pointers, but I, I saw him a little bit in high school, and and he can, he can hit the three. But he is a guy who does a great job of like – he's got a great dribble. He probe. he's got really long arm. He probes the defense. He gets off shots at sort of strange angles because he has these long arms. I'm telling you, these two freshmen are really, you haven't heard of these guys because they're brand new. And neither one of them are like McDonald's all Americans. They're like top hundred freshmen, but not like top 20. Both these guys, both Bud Carrington and Jalen Lowe, you're going to know their name after Duke plays them tomorrow night. Donald, give me more yeah, of the other players. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, I think when it comes to Carrington, he compliments Blake Henson very well. Everyone should be familiar with Blake Henson. He's one, been one of the best players in the ACC since he came to Pitt. He, he, he's doing everything this year. 6'8", senior, 19.1 points per game, 4.8 rebounds per game. And he's the one guy on this team that can shoot threes. He's shooting almost 41% from three this year. So there's a couple of guys who are, who are in that range. But Blake Henson is commanding a lot of their offense. He's very physical. He can get to the lane. He can, again, shoot from outside. He kind of does it all, and he he also is able to get into the flow of the offense and really terrorize a team and take over a game. There was a time, I think it was a couple of years ago, where we played him, and he, in the second half, just had like 20 points, it felt like, in the second half. We ended up winning that game, but it was he, he really kept them in it because of the fact that he was able to kind of put Pitt on his back and carry them as far as he could before it just ended up being just short. Mike, I want to bring you in. Because I, I think when it comes to Blake Henson, I know you, you've watched some games with him before. Who would you like to see guard Blake Henson? I know he's going to be probably lining up maybe with Mark Mitchell. Uh, but is that the right one in your mind? Or you think, is there someone else out there that you would like to see maybe get some minutes and even include somebody on the bench that you would want to see kind of come off and maybe spell Mark Mitchell for a couple minutes? Yeah, I'd love to to wear him out by throwing Mitchell first and then Ryan Young at him. Um, and let Young's physicality and experience and girth uh, just just wear this guy down. He, he's uh, easily the leading scorer in this team. And though Pitts won some games um, where he hasn't performed at the same clip, um, 
uh, I, I'd love to neutralize him as much as I can with with Mitchell's and Ryan's length and size uh, and just uh, be his shadow all over the court um, and make the other guys in this team beat you. Um, I would love for that to be the case. And um, this was always a hallmark of Coach K's teams. And and I know Shire's got the same approach. Let's make the the non-stars beat us. Um, and now, uh, Hinson's had some, sorry, go ahead. Uh, uh, Hinson's had some games where he is really, uh, I mean, he had 27 points in a couple of games earlier in the year. Uh, he, he can, he can really fill it up when he's rolling, but I think if we can throw that length and size at him, we can, we can shake him up a little bit. Mike, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was looking at what Blake Hinson's done game by game this season. And he had a five game run. You, you were talking about it there. Did, folks check, check these numbers out. So against Missouri, he went for 22 points. He was five of eight on three-pointers. Next game, Clemson, 27 points. He was six of 10 on three-pointers. Next game, West Virginia, 29 points, nine of 15 on threes. I mean, dude would fire in. Next two games, he scored 26 and 19 points against Canisius and South Carolina State. He was three of four on threes in each one of those games. So over that five-game stretch where he was scoring like 25 plus points per game in several of those games. He was 26 of 41 on three pointers, better than 63%. I mean, wow. But here's the big but they've played four games since then. Blake Henson is six of 31 on three pointers in the four games since then. That's just 19%, including going two of 11 against Carolina last week. So he is a guy when he gets hot. It carries on for several games, and it is scary. But he has been cold lately, and I hope <laughs> he's like I said, he was super hot for five games. He's been cold for four games. Please let it be a fifth game, because if Blake Henson is on fire, it is a huge problem for Duke, because that guy he he can be unstoppable on the perimeter, and he is not afraid to take ten plus three pointers if he's hitting them, especially with our inconsistent threes. Right? It's one thing if we're going back and forth and and he's hitting a three, we're hitting a three and it's kind of, we're kind of neutralizing him that way. Yeah. You get your nine threes off. That's fine. We're hitting 10. That's fine. But we have not proven to be able to hit the three consistently. Well, I mean, not even from half to half, right? Like we had the game against Syracuse where we didn't make one in the first half. And then we made all of them in the second half. And then we had the game against uh, uh, Notre Dame where we were sort of cold. Uh, once again, we kind of regressed back to our mean uh, in it, from beyond the arc. But I think the thing about Henson is also when you're at home and especially I've been to uh pit a, a game there when the zoo gets going, the zoo gets going. This is it get very loud and get very intimidating. They're kind of like us around the court, but that gym as a whole can get loud. Momentum is a, is a, is a cold, cold hearted person. And when you are uh, when you're in the zoo and dude is just hitting three after three after three, that momentum can build. You don't want that to happen. Well, and this is going to be his last game against Duke at home. So he, yeah. he he's going to be particularly motivated and focused on this one. You can't get focused for North Carolina. Nobody cares about beating North Carolina, but he's going to be real focused for beating Duke <laughs> and his, his coach's former school when they come to town. I like that. I like that, Mike. Hey, guys, just really quickly, I want to talk about the big men. Federico, Federico, and the Diaz-Graham twins. Um, you know, By the way, as I mentioned earlier, Federico and Guillermo Diaz-Graham do not play together like at all. Like those guys, literally, they, they are splitting the center position. Um, but the other Diaz-Graham twin <laughs> uh, Jorge, does yeah. play with them. Yeah, does play with them sometimes. And that's a really big lineup when they do that. That's like a pair of seven-footers on the floor together. 
And it's worth noting that the Diaz-Graham twins have begun really stepping outside and taking three-pointers. Um, that's something I, I was watching one of their games, and they were they were out there on the perimeter a lot. I was like, damn, you know what? I didn't realize that they were going to be doing that. Guillermo was going to do that more than Jorge does, but you're yeah. right. They, I mean, Jorge will do the like the mid range, like free throw line type of step out. He's not going to go not all as much as Guillermo. He's not going to go all the way out to three point line, but Guillermo can shoot it and he can hit it. He's not going to hit 90%, but I, I say that now and he probably will because that's how things have been going lately. But I think when it comes to him, he's he wants to bring the big men out because if he can hit one, that token three, if he can, or at least make it where it looks good. That just makes our big men have to trend out even further. That opens the lane for a lot of their guards to shine. Yeah, and the reason I bring them up and the the amount of size is because it does present an interesting problem for Duke potentially with you know what we do defensively. This Duke team, for the most part, and we can kind of transition our conversation now more toward Duke and away from Pitt, but for the most part this year, I feel like Duke has played smaller versus bigger. Um, we talked, Donald, you and I talked last game. We did a little bit of, of Flip and Young at the same time. I, I don't know that we're going to see a lot of that, but this is the kind of game where you might see some of it. Mike, you alluded to, you know, Ryan Young potentially guarding Blake Henson and trying to, you know, cause Blake Henson a little bit of of, of troubles um, with his physicality. Uh, that would be the circumstance where you would, you would see something like that. I, I just feel like it's going to be tougher for Duke to play smaller. I think that you know, it, it would be a challenge, I think, for Duke to go to one of those four guard lineups that that John Shire has experimented with a, a pretty fair bit this year against Pitt, because I think Pitt's just going to destroy you on the boards if you do that, and they're going to create problems for you with with their size. Because this this Pitt team is one of the bigger teams that Duke will face all year. I think also you think about our rotations thus far, right? When you talk about the big men, you have Ryan Young coming off the bench, you have TJ Power. We didn't see Sean Stewart this last game, but like he's he's available. And uh, one guy who you may have wanted to count on in this game to kind of like get a couple fouls or something like that is Christian Reeves. And Christian Reeves has been hurt, you know, most of the year. It doesn't seem like he's you know imminently returning. So when you when you think about that, that almost lends itself to the fact of why we've been trending smaller is because are are we have you know six seven guys on the wing that are perfectly capable of being in the game at the same time. And we only have a couple of guys who can really bang down low. I mean, really bang down low. So that's why you've seen sometimes when Flip was out of the game that our guy in the middle was Mark Mitchell uh, because he was the you know guy on the court that was most capable of getting down there and grinding in the paint and getting rebounds, which we've seen him do well in the last week or so. So it's going to be an interesting thing, especially when you say when the when when Federico, uh, not Federico, when the DS twins come in um, and yeah, they yeah. play together. Um, because again, that just will force us to have to play Flip and Ryan or Ryan and, and somebody else or Flip and somebody else. This is where I hope we see Sean Stewart come in and use his athleticism because that is going to be necessary. And especially again, if, if there's a foul control situation or I'm sorry, foul trouble situation, then we're going to need to utilize him uh, more. So I hopefully like he doesn't hopefully, you know, the fact that he didn't play on Saturday means he's just as ready as ever for tomorrow night because we're going to need him. This is going to be one of those games where um, it's going to be chess. Uh, Who can bend the other team to their will strategically? And I'd love to see our perimeter attacking the basket strong and drawing those fouls of the big men and not altering your shots against this superior length. And I think we have the weapons to do that. I think we have the guys that can break down Pitt's defense, their perimeter off the dribble and get into the paint and and draw some fouls. Because as, as you've noted, 
we're not going to be getting a lot of rebounds and getting second chances. Um, and I, you know, if we can stretch the court and and get some threes and make them play a little bit more honestly and then attack the basket and attack those holes. I mean, it's not rocket science, but I think that's the kind of strategy we can make capable adjust as opposed to us having to adjust to him. I'll say this about Duke's rotations in this game. I think it's going to be very tough for TJ Power to get minutes. Uh, A a team as physical as Pitt uh, is a bad matchup for him already. And the odds are pretty good that if he's in there, it means that Mark Mitchell probably isn't in the game. And that probably means that TJ Power is, it either means that Duke's in a zone, in which case Blake Hinson's probably going to be shooting over that zone left and right. Or it means that TJ Power is the guy who's forced to guard Blake Hinson. That's a lineup. That's a matchup I do not like for Duke. Uh, I wonder I, if I wonder if that zone you, you talk about, like we, we had a more traditional zone uh, the other night uh, when TJ Power was in the game. I wonder if it becomes not necessarily a box and one, but more of a matchup ish type of zone where you have a guy that's on Blake Hinson the whole time and he gets past, you know, from, from defender to defender, but the rest of the guys kind of stay in their zone. Uh, it usually, I mean, with the zone, you kind of do that. You kind of, you, you don't necessarily are not on the guy, but you're marking a guy saying this guy's in my area. I'm, I'm responsible for him, but you know, a, a matchup zone kind of forces you to play a man ish type of, of defense until someone else relieves you from that particular part of the zone. So I I could see that, not not for long stretches, but I could see TJ Power coming to the game and they move to a zone where Blake Hinson is taken care of uh, throughout the thing. And and Jason, this is where, you know, he's out in the perimeter. We, we said it the last few times, right? Put Jalen Blake's on that dude and let him be a pest and at least <laughs> make it where he gives up the ball and let somebody else beat us. I like it. I like it. By the way, uh, Ken Pomeroy predicts Duke wins this game 75 to 71. That's only a four point margin. That should tell all of you out there how, what a tough game this is going to be. By the way, I think it's a really important game because this is a game against a team, you know, in the middle, upper middle of the, of the ACC standings. And it's a road game. This is the kind of game easy to lose. I, I won't be shocked at all if Duke loses this game, but if you get this win in your column, that's an important, that's super important. For a team like Duke, trying to make up for the bad loss we have to Georgia Tech, I can't even tell you how many people I talk to who go, you know, at the end of the year when you know when Duke doesn't win the ACC, we will all look back on that Georgia Tech game. This this is the kind of thing that could make up for that. And also, you, you we we've talked about uh, Pitt being fifty fourth in Ken Palm. They're fifty third in the net rankings. So again, when we talk about this is a team that quad one quad one the quad one is a quad one game, but we also won it where you know. After we, you know, after we, we obviously want to win, but this is the team that we want to stay strong throughout the season because this is the type of game that when people look back, they go, "Oh man, they went to Pitt and won." If Pitt kind of stays at the level that they are and kind of continues to to be right, you're right there at the upper middle portion of the ACC. This can be a really good opportunity for us to pull out a win that will help our seating down the road. Hey, Mike. Before we go, I promise this. Let's talk really quick. I want to hear a little bit more about your time as Chronicle Sports Editor. Yeah, you know, start with this. Give me your best story. What, what's your best, like, covering Duke basketball kind of story? So uh, it, it actually gets away from uh, the, the coverage a little bit, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you two stories. Um, the, the first is the, the real perk of being the Chronicle Sports Editor used to be you get a sit down with Coach K uh, in the spring, and you get to publish the Q&A in the summer issue of the Chronicle. 
And uh, I, I had the, the pleasure of doing that. And uh, we had a great conversation over the course of 30 or 60 minutes. It felt like a lifetime of, of goodness for me. And about a month later, um, I walked into um, uh, the gym and Coach K was was coming out. And I I didn't want to embarrass myself or embarrass him and go fawn over him. I just assumed he didn't remember who I was. But he was very nice, came up to me and he said, Mike, how you doing? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm great, Coach. How are you? And he said, you look good. Have you been working out? And I said, yeah, coach, I have been. I, thank you for noticing. I have been exercising. And he said, so are you ready? And I said, ready, ready for what? And he said, well, I'm down some guys. I could use some walk-ons. And I, I'm a lifelong coach K and Duke fan. This is like blowing my mind. And before I could even say anything, he's like, you can never make my team. And he cackles to himself <laughs> and walks off. <laughs> I, I, of course, he's gonna remember your name. You have the same name as him, so <laughs> well, exactly. we're, we're 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 like we're related, you know. And, yeah. and I I had met him when I was in kindergarten. It was my dad's twenty fifth college reunion, and we had walked in somewhere for breakfast. It was probably Elmo's, and uh, he was sitting over there. My dad was too embarrassed. He sent me over with an envelope, and I got his signature. Michael, always try your best, which I know he always signed everything. And I, I had brought that up during our interview, and I, I should have said, Coach, I would have tried my best trying out for your team. You should have given me the chance. You know, I, I could have I could have done something. Um, my second best Coach K story is when uh, we had the privilege of breaking the news that he was not going to take the Lakers job. Um, I, I was still on campus. We were uh, in the middle of summer, and we had caught wind of, of this um, flirtation with the Lakers. And we were working our butts off trying to find out what he was thinking, what he was going to do. Was it a power play with the new president at the time? It was President Broadhead had just started. Um, and all indications were that it was a sincere consideration. Um, and we started calling all of the, the parents of the players through our network of relationships that we had. And we got um, one of the parents, I think it was the Melchiones um, or the McClure's had told us, Coach K just got off the phone with us and he's going to stay. And uh, we got to break that news and CNN put in its little ticker, Duke Chronicle report, Coach K is staying. Nice, nice. We, we were thrilled about that. At the time, That was before social media had really taken off. So that was as good as we could do. Um, but I remember being so struck after the fact um, when I had talked to him in some of his circle about what really had appealed to him. And you might all remember that a letter written by a guy named Andrew Humphreys um, got real popular because it was like a personal note from Andrew to coach about Stan. And and that had actually meant a lot to him. It was a strong illustration of what connected him to the university. Um, but I remember being so struck by what um, the then associate AD, Chris Kennedy, had told me. Coach K loved so much helping these young people come in as young people and go out as men. And that that was not necessarily reflected in um, a lot of the, the the fawning coverage at the time, he wanted to be an educator still. And I I was I was affected by that all the way after and and was so um uh, I'm I'm hoping that he's able to do that now still. But those were my two sharpest memories from the Chronicle days um of of many. It was a, a wonderful sprint um over 18 months uh sitting in, in 301 flowers. Uh, I, I want to ask you another quick question, but before I do that, I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, you mentioned, you know, him being able to stay and be an educator 
of men. I don't know if you saw this, but the other day, uh, uh, Howard was able to practice uh, at Duke because they were playing NC State or I'm sorry, NC Central, and then we're going down uh, to South Carolina for a game. And you know, Duke graciously let them stay in town and practice. And Coach K got to say some words to them. Of course, Kenny Blakeney, shout, you know, friend of the podcast uh, and coach of Howard, uh, was able to make that happen. But it, it's interesting that that that's still available right that's a very big deal the fact that he's no longer the coach but that's still kind of a a tool that's available um for for just so many people and i think that's terrific that they're able to make that work while he has kind of removed himself from the program to let it be john shire's program so i just want to make that aside but the one thing you mentioned you know how you were we were at school social media facebook had just started when i graduated so you had kind of a year of the the early days of Facebook on campus looking looking now at how the Chronicle is able to reach millions of people um what would you have taken from this time what would you have loved to have in your time as the sports editor that would have made your coverage either that much more broad and, and social media could be the answer but what you know what would you have taken from the tools that they have today and say man if I had had this this would have made our coverage even that much better. Uh, all of them. Um, I mean, the the big breakthrough for us, the big ambition for us that became a breakthrough was that we wanted to use our presence on the web and start publishing on the web directly and not just publishing in the paper because we knew there was this massive audience there out there that if we could just reach them and get them to come to our website, that we could be more than just college journalists for other college students. And uh, the good folks at DVR were generous enough um, to give us space on the bottom of, I think, their main page. And it said Chronicle Links. And they would list our top five stories or most recent stories. And that drove our, our visits up tremendously. And I'm sure it's paltry compared to what it's at now. But man, what a tool just that alone was. Because DBR was the hub and still is, obviously, for, for Duke basketball. Um, the other thing that would have been dramatically different now, and I, I'm actually very curious as to how it works, is the process of engaging with a student athlete, especially a basketball player, was very laborious and you had to go through sports information. You had a dedicated time and place and you could only ask questions for so much time. And now the athletes are churning out information and perspectives and ideas and content of their own all of the time. It's just so much more fodder for stories and ideas for stories that we couldn't have no way of had uh, could have had no way of having back then, aside from just hitting the pavement and getting to know the players and stories that might be out there. One of my favorite stories that I got to write when I was at the Chronicle was about um, Andre Buckner. Um, and it was just through talking to folks and listening and trying to get a sense of the his story and his purpose as a basketball player. You could get that now through social media and engagement and the relationship building you can do there with the athletes, the people around them. Um, let me tell you one more story, if I may. Um, uh, great. Um, one of my very, very favorite people to cover um, was the Wall Day. Uh, he was just one of the most fascinating people that I'd ever gotten to meet in college. And um, I'm going to speak a little bit out of turn, but I, I have never been friends with him. I've only had indirect conversations with him or, or asking him questions, but I got to know some of the friends that he had around him and he and his friends are doing some really interesting community work now. And just out of the mm -hmm. blue, 
I'm in a position where I can support them the littlest bit um, through a relationship that I got to build on the ground um, 20 years ago. God, I'm old. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I bet happens a lot more organically now because of social media that college journalists can take advantage of and utilize in a way that the professional journalists can't. Yeah. And you mentioned Lil Ding. He just had uh, one of his friends um, now works for Duke and reached out to me about an event that he was having for his foundation in Chicago, like a a few weeks back. So yeah, that sort of thing, it it keeps, it keeps everybody connected, right? Like I'm, you know, for those of you out there, when I was headline monitor, Michael Corey was the the sports editor and we, uh, there was usually no communication or very little communication between those two people, um, those two positions uh, at campus. And because we knew each other, you know, really well, and we, you know, we realized we were in this position, we were able to, fixed some things about how people got information about Cameron. We, we came up with this idea that I would just call him and say, Hey, we have 300 spaces left in camera. We have 200 spaces left. And he just had a ticker running on the website. And uh, you talk about the utilization of, of, you know, social media and the internet to kind of bring people together. That was the early days. And I mean, now you could just tweet out, yo, there's space and people can show up. <laughs> yeah. Um, these guys have it easy now, but like it, that sort of thing, you had to come up. It's why we're so blessed to be Duke alums. We all came up with weird ideas that worked um, at the time to bring people together for something that we all love. And, and honestly, that's why we're all here, right? Like Jason and I didn't know each other when we started this thing, but we're really, we're really close now. And and, and we talk just about every day about Duke basketball. Michael and I have been talking Duke basketball for, as he said, 20 years, plus 20 years plus. So this is it's it's great to kind of get that perspective of how it used to be and what we can learn from that to kind of make our fandom increase ever more as we, as you say, get older. All right, guys, I'm going to call it. We've been on long enough. <laughs> We're wrapping up episode five, eight, zero of the DBR podcast. Our thanks to Michael Corey, Mike Corey, for joining us. Former Chronicle sports editor, giving us some interesting perspective. I am Jason Evans. He is Donald Wind. You can hear them now in the background. Is that them? Yes, it's the Duke Band. They're playing us out and taking us home. No, listen, I'm I'm so happy for you, Donald. I, uh, I I hope everything is happy tonight. We are you know what? we are living in uncharted territory right now. I I really think you're going to kick their butts. I really do. I'm uh, going up to Detroit on Thursday for the. I don't have a ticket to the Lions game, but I'm going anyway. We'll see what happens. Just just go there and be like, I'm Donald Wine, and people will give you tickets. <laughs> yeah, but they they say yes, Donald Wine. You give me five hundred and sixty seven dollars. Yeah, <laughs> trying to trying to. Get the price of the brick to come down a bit, but very good. No, it is a good time to be a Michigan football fan. This week is like probably the best week to be a Michigan. I, I mean, the entire state of Michigan, pro and college, yeah. best week like in history. I don't know about history. I mean, both both teams dude, had history. Wait, back wait, in the day. you're playing for a national title and you're in the playoff in the NFL playoffs. How much better? Last time, last time, last time, uh, the the uh, Lions won a playoff game. Michigan won the Rose Bowl. And almost had to share the national championship. So we we live it we live in a good times. We're eating we eating nice. <laughs> <laughs>